Hey, Fiends of the Pod, this is your host, film critic and comedian Nate Wyckoff, reminding you to like, subscribe, and comment. You can also go to cultandclassicfilms.com slash subscribe and sign up to have cult exclusive movies sent to your door every single month. These are ultra low budget exclusive films that we get to you in the best quality possible with tons of extras like commentaries, milk caps, autographed posters, slip covers, all sorts of neat things. And remember, every time you like, subscribe and buy a movie from us, you prevent Michael Bay from making one more film. So go ahead, subscribe and enjoy. Welcome to Cult and Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to another episode of Cult and Classic Films Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult, and talk about them both. I'm your host, film critic and comedian Nate Wyckoff, and with us today, we have our two of our favorite panelists, Tad Mastriani. How are you doing, Tad? I promise I'm not on cocaine. Okay. And uh, Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? Um, I don't promise that I'm not on something else. There you go. Yeah, you know what? This is this is we're we're on two different coasts, so it's it's not super late my time. Uh, it's like six o'clock when we record this my time, and uh, but Tad and Mandy are on the East Coast, so it, it's nine, and they work and have children, so you know, um, they're paying for their life choices. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's wonderful. Okay, so yeah. I'm really we're like seltzer all the way. Oh, seltzer. Um, well, I'm in California, so the, the recent seltzer that we were given as a yeah. gift in our fridge is Pabst Blue Ribbon uh, Marijuana Beverage Seltzer, uh, which is oh, interesting. So it's, so it's even what? skunkier than normal. I thought pad. they were joking when they gave it away. They were like, Pabst Blue Ribbon uh, Weed Seltzer. I thought it was a joke because it's a good friend of ours who's a comedian who runs a bingo thing and you win marijuana because it's at a dispensary. And I thought they were joking. And they were like, Pabst Blue Ribbon, Marijuana Seltzer. I was like, ha, ha, ha. And then we got home and opened the package. And it literally is Pabst Blue Ribbon. They now make weed seltzer uh, <laughs> sold in California. I was like, this is, wow. this is not only did I, did I really not expect them to make a seltzer. I didn't expect yeah. them to make a marijuana seltzer, especially since you can't <laughs> even sell it in, in all the country. You actually probably have to yeah. manufacture it in the state that you're selling yeah. it. So yeah, that is weird. That is just you another can't transport level of that water across street lines. Yeah, mine just has lemon in it. Like I'm it doesn't just... have anything fun, like caffeine or sugar or marijuana. Just lemon. Can we just reminisce, Nate, about the the time in our lives when we were both straight edge? Those were good times. You know what's funny? I mean, I so the problem is is that. Straight edge was always one of those things. It was never, neither of us were ever that person that was annoyingly like, like, oh, you're an idiot, blah, 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 blah. It's just like, it was an easy shorthand to be like, no, I'm sober. Like, I just don't care. I, yeah. I like, and so, and so I remember like just using it as shorthand. And I remember, um, do you remember Emily? Uh, you, Mandy, will remember Emily. She was friends with uh, Emily Carwalter. Oh, yes. Emily Carwalter. Yes. yes. Emily, shout out. I hope you're listening. So uh, Emily, one time she she said something and I said, yeah, I'm straight edge. And she said, uh, she was like, oh, I can't wait to see you break your edge. I'd never even heard that term. And I was like, oh, there's this whole fucking culture. And we were kind of punks at the time. And I even then, you know, you're you can be as punk as you want, but you live rural. And so you're like, I was like, I'd never even heard that term. And I'm like, I guess, yeah, some people that are so against it, like eventually when they become uninhibited, they just go off the rails and you become the most annoying, like, hey, do you have any weed? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, do you have any blah, blah, blah? Hey, do you have any coke? It's Rumspringa. For non, it's, um, for non Amish. 
it's it right exactly and it's just like and i it was never that i was just like i don't one i don't want to spend any money on anything that isn't a toy game or comic or movie and two i i just what's the what's the purpose i had a pretty great life so i wasn't really an issue uh yeah this is a long a long way to get somewhere oh i guess just like one more comment on that like at what age do you you stop using that term and you were just like an old person that doesn't do drugs I think it was probably when I moved the first time yeah. because yeah, I don't because even when I was quote unquote straight edge, like I like like fruity, not as in, you know, queer, but like and that is a proper term now. Green uh, shirts. Right. Like like I like sweet fruit flavored beverages. So like when yeah. there was a or like when there's Long Island iced tea or something like I like the taste of those because they taste good and you can't really taste the alcohol unless it's vodka because mm-hmm. it's disgusting, uh, you know, but yeah, it. I liked that. So even when I was going straight edge, I'm like, if it tastes good, I will have it. I don't really care. So it just never even occurred to me. And then I was like, oh, I mean, I have to, I have this all other. And then I'm like, cause it's just, you have to explain it. Like, no, I just don't drink. Now it's a little easier. You can actually just say I'm sober. You know what? And- yeah. It's true. Mandy, I have an answer for you. The answer mm-hmm. is, is that you stop using the term straight edge when your job depends on drug, uh, <laughs> on drug use. It's then you true. stop saying I'm straight edge. You start going, no, nah, I'm in recovery. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm an English professor, but not at Berkeley. So I have to be careful. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's so why are we talking about this? Why did this come up? I well, have no idea. Uh, I know why, because about we, drugs. we are talking uh, uh, about a pair of movies that we call uh, Animals Behaving Badly. And that is not a reference to the Discovery Channel show, which is really not as good as I wanted it to be. Sorry, Discovery Channel. Uh, hit us up. We'll make a good we'll make a good one but yes this is cocaine bear is what we're going to talk about today elizabeth banks uh 2023 um comedy horror i guess you would call it uh and that is part one and next week uh we're gonna hit our even more cult feature with 2023's slother house that is not slaughterhouse it is sloth or house so uh be ready for that we're gonna gear up with cocaine bear 2023 it is nathan yes no joke yes I just started a new job last week and I mentioned that I had a podcast that watched movies and someone went, Hey, has anybody heard about that movie about the sloth? And I'm like, (laughs) fucking hell. Like, yes, we're going to be doing that. We are on trend. Uh, This is in. So slother house is in the public conscience already. And these people are not. Yeah. I mentioned watching cocaine bear and like, my friends were like, heck yeah, I want to watch that movie. So, so. I'm just I'm just going to start right off the, the bat. I had been telling uh, our, our, my lovely panelists that we were going to be doing this movie for like months because since I saw it in theaters, because um, it's, it's going to be no surprise. I really love this movie. It kind of, it shocked me. I wasn't, I, I honestly wasn't expecting much, um, especially because it launched kind of in the same time frame as like, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, and um, the mean one, that movie about the Grinch slasher flick. I'm sure maybe we'll talk about that uh, for Christmas time. But, you know, I, I just, I knew that this had a, a bigger cast, a bigger budget, it was getting a national release. But again, it seemed like it was very possibly the kind of film that 100% is the title and nothing else. Like, it's the only thing it has going for it, right? Uh, and I was pleasantly surprised. So we're going to talk uh, about this at length. As usual, I'm going to give you the plot. Then we'll dive into our panelists to see uh, how they feel about it and talk about some some ups and downs of this movie. This movie is directed by Elizabeth Banks, uh, who everybody has seen as an actress uh, and some 
somewhat of a director. She produces a lot. She's been in over a hundred films and TV shows. So she's, she's been everywhere. Uh, I think she's fantastic. She is one of those actresses that really seems to choose a wide variety of product of, of, a projects, right? Like she is heavily responsible for the pitch perfect films, which I, I wasn't, that was my experience with her as a filmmaker, frankly. And I didn't really like it. Um, I thought that there were a little too, I don't know, Hampus is Norbert. I thought the tone was uneven. It was real, but then it wasn't real because of how extreme people were acting. Uh, it just wasn't my thing. But also, I'm not the target audience, right? I'm a, as if you listen to our pre show by joining our Patreon subscription at patreon.com slash cult and classic films, where you get cult movies every month delivered to your door that only we have. There's my plug. Uh, we have a, we had a pre show and I was talking about, uh, I was talking about, this whole thing i don't i don't really think that you know we're out of the at 40 about we're all three of us are about that age we are no longer the target audience for most things right and so it just didn't hit me the way that it hit a lot of people right and so i wasn't really i didn't see elizabeth banks as a a versatile filmmaker i knew she was a fantastic versatile actress i, I thought she was a smart producer but a lot of her projects sort of were misses commercially. I don't care about that, but it does tend to add to the feeling when you've seen a film of theirs that you don't really care, care for. That said, this movie uh, that she produced and directed is, it, it totally shocked me with the choices she made. They are wild and it made for a very engaging film. So the plot is, as you may have guessed, uh, a bear in the wild finds packages of uh, cocaine that were mistakenly dropped by a guy who fell and killed himself on accident from a plane because he was on coke when he was supposed to drop cocaine at a certain location in this forest so the uh, so the dealers could go pick it up uh right so it's kind of this clever way of avoiding state lines and all that jazz well of course these are all over the woods and a bear has become addicted to cocaine and is finding these what happens? Well, the people who need the drugs for the sales are sent to pick it up. And through this group of different people, the park rangers, punk kids, uh, the our leads who are uh, trying to find these drugs, it is just becomes a madhouse. There's extreme violence. There is uh, There are cubs. And there is one of the final big feature film performances from Ray Liotta, which we are absolutely going to talk about. So this movie is wild i would say that it is a very funny movie but it is also a graphic movie there are there was one time in the theater where i i did wince and i'm pretty versed and i was like oh that was that was that was tough uh on the big screen yeah so we'll talk about it now i had probably overhyped this movie to you guys because it's very obvious when i really like a movie because i'm like we're gonna do it we're gonna do it and it takes forever and then it's tired by the time we get there uh, Mandy, what were you expecting from Cocaine Bear? And what did you get now that you've seen it? I was expecting a bear. I was expecting cocaine. And I was expecting a bear on cocaine. And I got all of those things. So I was very happy. <laughs> it is true. Um, the the bear in question, of course, is 3D animated. Um, it's interesting because the tone of the movie, this is one of those cases where the fact that the bear goes to a slight cartoonishness sometimes, not heavy, but, you know, overly, overly human facial expressions on occasion or yes. wild, yeah. it works because 
it's supposed it's exaggerating the fact that this bear is uh a, a, i, a I think it also head. like does a line at one point or <laughs> yes, like, and then like there's one point where they like animated like a cloud coming out of its nose or yes just really ridiculous stuff but i thought it was super fun that they it were is. just playing with the whole idea of it like to the absolute extreme yes uh yes. And, and just like they didn't hold back anywhere they were just like how crazy can we make it and then let's put it up several more notches from which, there which is is totally uh totally fantastic and we will uh, you'll already have listened to the episode uh uh, that we'll have for our uh, thankful and hateful, our kind of yearly Thanksgiving vibe uh, episode. But it's good to listen to any time of year. Uh, bad marketing to to label something for just one holiday. But you'll have heard me talk about um, the the fact that a lot of things don't take risks. And this movie, it had no, it went it went for crude term, it went balls deep. Okay, I'm I'm pulling something that Tad would probably say on this pod. Uh, it is one of those things where they went 100% without any, they're like, look, this is going to be ridiculous. So let's make it more ridiculous than you would think. For example, as you said, the bear does a line. And I love, so IMDb, it's always fun to check what they put there. Whoever mm -hmm. wrote the synopsis is uh, blah, 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 blah. A huge black bear goes on a murderous rampage after unintentionally ingesting coke. I... I take umbrage with that because I don't think the bear was unintentionally ingesting coke. The bear intentionally went and found that and then intentionally ingested cocaine every yes. chance it got and hunted yes. down people for more cocaine. Uh, yes. It is it is fantastic. Uh, all right. that That's a fair <laughs> cocaine and a bear. You got it. Yes. Tad, what, what were it. you expecting from this movie? Complex uh, question. The answer is... I heard a lot of good stuff about this movie beforehand and this movie exceeded my expectations because I sort of expected it. You know, you know what this movie reminded me of from its marketing was mm -hmm. snakes on a plane. Yeah. You remember snakes on a plane. Do you remember how shit snakes on a plane actually yes. was as a yes. film once you watched it? Like you watched yeah. it and you're like, wow, this sucks. Yeah. This... It was entertaining for like five. It was a title. That's that yes. was that device. It was a you know, title like... and a premise and, and Samuel L. Jackson. The, yes, and the movie spent so much time actually explaining its premise that it got boring. This movie keeps it simple, but it also the 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 framing story around the fact that uh, there is a bear high as shit on cocaine is more interesting than the bear. It's engaging. Yeah, it's actually a movie with the bear that's, as a as a as a driving force key. in the film. As a matter yes. of fact, that that um that edgy part, you know, you know what is really edgy about a movie in 2023 that would have almost seemed impossible to actually to do in the 80s, which is really funny to think about, is watching kids do cocaine or attempt oh. to do cocaine. <laughs> Can right. you imagine wow. them trying that wow. back in the 80s? In Holy the 70s, shit. it would have flown. The 80s, it would have never happened, even um, though everybody with any sort of money who was an adult in the 80s was doing cocaine. We Nancy all Reagan would have shit herself. Oh, yeah. watching kids do cocaine in a movie she'd have been like no stop this right now this movie is banned <laughs> but in 2023 you can do it because the scene was done in a way where you're like the kids aren't actually in danger and it's part of the plot so it kind of passed at the same time you know, like especially as you know as parents you're kind of like well two out of three of us are parents so you understand like i don't want my kid doing cocaine but at the same time it's like <laughs> Those dumb kids, they're doing yeah. cocaine and they're all like, 
oh this is gross and it's like yeah that's that's how kids at that age would be like this stuff's gross i'm not doing this again <laughs> it's like yeah. wait wait 10 15 years kids you'll find out but um, also the library's like oh a tablespoon should be enough oh my god <laughs> they're eating it off a knife <laughs> which two, is even yeah, so, so we're, we're we're talking about these two kids uh, uh a boy and a girl friends um who go into the woods and they're kind of one one of them wants to be bad right and the other one just wants to be good and just like i don't really want to rock the boat but they find this is like this is drugs and they break it open and yeah and then they're like let's do it how do you do it and of course neither of them really knows anything about it um so taking what they, don't they take it orally a spoonful of cocaine yes yes they yeah. literally yes. scoop it off a knife and try and eat it yeah. And they're like <laughs> yeah which is and then of course and and then the the effect is that they're high and weird and they are trying to survive a bear, right? With the help of, of of the mom and some other characters, which there are a lot of characters in this film, but I actually didn't feel like it was, I shouldn't say that. It feels like there's a lot of characters. There's not very many people in this movie. However, mm -hmm. the people that are there all get a substantial amount of time compared to what most, you know, side characters would get, which is an, another great thing, right? Everyone yeah. gets enough development where you you can even feel, and this is really important in a film, you can even feel sympathy in certain circumstances for the shit people. Right. Like, um, and there are a lot of uh, shit Ray people. Liotta's character. You can yeah. understand his motivation. He's still a shitbag, but you can at least understand that he's trying to protect his family yeah. because he's like, oh my God, these Colombians will kill me. They will mm -hmm. kill you. So he well, acts like a shitbag. Right. And he's, he's a, a cold-blooded murderer. He's not a good guy. Yeah. But he's not he a good also, dude. So he's he's the father of uh one of our two, I would say two main leads in this movie, who by the way, the person that plays uh, his his son is Alden Ehrenreich, who uh I fell in love with as Han Solo in Solo, a Star Wars movie. And he doesn't even look it. Like he no, you can he tell he's older. Yep. It's five he, years since then. He does a and he does a great job. And so he's the one. His wife recently died. He has a kid, and he doesn't want to be part of his dad's business anymore because his wife didn't mm -hmm. like it. So he doesn't want to do it. He's 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 at the beginning of the movie. Um, he's David, who is his uh his friend Oshia Jackson, uh, plays him, who is still in the business. Right? He's like, you look, you got to stop drinking and come with me because your dad's telling us to do this. We got to do it. And so he eventually drags him out and goes to do it. What's lovely about it is that his horrible, murderous monster drug dealer dad, Ray Liotta, is also watching his kid. He's watching Eddie, who Alden's character. He's watching his son. So Alden is drinking himself stupid, missing his wife, and wants to get out of the business and is mad at his dad for being like the business. And yet his son is staying with his grandpa, who is clearly like not a great grandpa, but would doesn't seem like he has any sort of like he's going to take care of his grandson you know and he also as you said you do kind of feel he does seem to really care about his son it's not like he throws his son to the wolves because he could have several times in the movie to his own benefit but he doesn't do that that that's not his that's not his goal uh and his really character is sid but it doesn't really matter you just know he's the dad it's and an old school mentality you yeah. can understand it it's still shitty but you can understand it he's he's kind of like a, a more like down-to-earth country version of his character in goodfellas right yeah. what he became in goodfellas so it's it's not, it was really great to see him and in a role where he got to play a, a real character because for so long ray Liotta had been he went from sort of like the lead sometimes handsome man to being the like scary guy like he he mm -hmm. in in his in his last you know god what 
two decades of acting he was almost always the villain the scary guy and in this he's he's a villain he's not i don't think he's scary and in some weird way he's kind of engaging right he's the he's the the con man you like he's the um the bad character that you like because he he's down to earth and he talks in a way that sort of it's familial enough that you just you start to buy into him uh being engaging he's one or two good decisions away from redemption but you know yes. he's not gonna get there that is fantastic way to put it um that is fantastic yes and so <laughs> yeah so it, it, it's a lot of fun he plays a great character um uh, as i said Oshia jackson plays um eddie's his, his son's friend uh, who's in the business and it's Oshia jackson jr and uh, he does a great job. He has a very strong presence. Like he really is a co-lead. Um, he's not just the best friend. He is a co-lead. And he has some great, he has the first fight scene. One of the only real, the only fight scene in the movie um, when they get to the park where they're going to go in and try and find the Coke, which by the way, would be a hell job because it's just scattered in bags all throughout the woods. And uh, he he gets attacked by these three like, hillbilly punk kids and he just because he's he's a gangster he just beats the living shit out of them one of them pulls a knife and stabs him in the back and he just continues to beat the shit out of him and then berates them for being for being bad kids basically <laughs> and is like you better shape up and he pulls the knife out and leaves like or just was... like he's like it's like he he kind of i guess he knows it's there but he kind of doesn't he's just like yeah what, the, what is he this turns he turns around, around and yeah. he sees the knife like in the mirror and he's like what the fuck? He's my shirt. Like, yeah. I really so like this it's jersey. Yeah. Yes. I like this jersey. Yeah. And uh, and and obviously, yeah, he's so funny. If you've listened to this pod, you're gonna get spoilers, but who cares? This is there's no way you if <laughs> if any of this sounds entertaining, you would not be. You could hear every single beat of this movie and still have a good time watching it. Um, and but yeah, and then he also it, they Alden and uh and his character get in a standoff a gun standoff with the the police detective i believe he is um who's trying to track down um ray Liotta's operation okay so and he's played by uh, isaiah whitlock jr who people may not know his name but everybody will recognize him he plays the police officer and who unfortunately gets killed by said ray Liotta, of course but he shoots he shoots off uh O'Shea's character's finger and it's this weird setup like I don't, two fingers two fi yes <laughs> i i want to know what the script yeah. said specifically the the shooting script yeah. because it's a weird setup where uh the police officer is on top of a a, a uh, gazebo you, gazebo thank you and and the other characters are down below uh alden's character eddie is is out in the open and has no weapon he's out in the open and then at some point you know, O'Shea gets his fingers blown off and then is like, can I get my fingers? Like, and the police <laughs> officer's like, yes, you can get your fingers, but don't make a move or I'll shoot you. And he lets him go get his fingers. <laughs> at which point the cocaine bear comes into the scene and is so tripped out. He just, or she rather, just like falls, just passes out on top of the character of Eddie. And they are yeah. just trying to figure out what to do to get him out from under this bear. And as the the synopsis I read from IMDb said, this is a black bear. It's not supposed to be a grizzly. Um, for those of you out there who aren't very familiar with bears, black bear does not mean they are 
always colored black. There are brown colored black bears. They're just a, a species or whatever, a, a, a type of bear that are much smaller than grizzlies. They're the ones you much more common here in the United States. And uh, so this, it was a giant black bear. This is an unnaturally mm -hmm. large black bear. It's more like a grizzly, uh, but it's just, it's great. And this is one of those times when the exaggerated features and actions of the bear really play into it uh you know it's it's that it's that it's a movie moment that's been done before um usually to stupid effect by having the fat guy fall on a character passed out or um the character you know a, a villain or a character gets killed and he's huge and he falls on somebody and they have to get him out or something it's that but it's a it's a bear on cocaine like it's mm -hmm. it's much funnier uh this way just crash just like crash. on top of a person yes and uh yeah yeah it, it's it's the light and this <laughs> and is they, a, like check to see if the bear's alive yes they don't know like, like it's just so funny it just keeps going on and on it's like one of those jokes where you're like oh okay like this has to be the end of this joke and they're like oh no oh no we're gonna it's, we're gonna do more we're just they milk it they milk it but yes this movie is never boring and Tad, you no, kind of got to this about the the story, the actual story that the bear is is a just a driving a, a plot motivator for, which mm -hmm. is that is as engaging as any of the action scenes, perhaps more sometimes. Mm -hmm. The characters' interactions are great. You end up loving um Eddie and David, like the lead characters, yes. the two these are these are two guys who've, you know, sold cocaine to or or provided cocaine to a seller that's done god knows what uh to get there and yet you you don't just root for them you actually really like them especially david even though he's the one that does not want to get out of the business because he want he likes the money mm -hmm. um but he's clearly <laughs> a complicated character who is you would call him a good person which is interesting because his line of work is not something we would identify with a good person um, I wouldn't consider my line of work to be something a good person would do, but I would like to think that I try to do good things. But like my job, it's not a, I don't do good things all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I, you know, it, we've talked about it briefly on this pod before. We all of course have day jobs. If you, if you think your podcasters don't then, um, and they're not famous, famous, then you're wrong. They they do have day jobs. Uh, or they're unemployed and living in someone else's house, which, hey, is a possibility. <laughs> uh, we've all been there, too. But, yeah, I, I'm an English professor. And I will say this. As much as I love education as far as, like, the actual concept, like, learning things that you care about, being made to care about something by getting information you didn't know before, uh, understanding things and people, it's wonderful. Uh, but the college system is a broken, uh, oppressive wreck, uh, not only in this country, but others, but especially in this country. And I do not support the system in place that crushes people financially. My debt will be with me. I'm just, I have to pretend forever because otherwise it's too oppressive. And so out there, I'm not saying don't go to college, but be aware of what you want to do and then decide if college is the path forward for you. And if you do want to go to something like say creative writing, which is what I have, uh, or theater, anything like that, feel free to go, but maybe try and, and, Get some money. Of course, go for scholarships, but God knows there's not enough. Mm -hmm. Work for the college, work there, um, and that don't is... get it. Don't get a work study job. 
Okay. I'm not saying that that's, that's fine. If you do it, get a job before you attend, because those jobs will have much better benefits for you for taking classes. Some may even be free for the programs. Okay. Fun, so fun advice yes. for our young people, Nathan and I have both worked in the college system. The best way to get a cheap education work for education. And even if you hate it, you only got to be there for, you know, two to six until you graduate. Program. Right. And then you're out. You can get out and you can wave your middle Walk finger out. on the way out because the people that are going to be there are not going to be there that long anyway. And no one will remember you if you ever want to get another job there. Personally. Just like high school. Yeah. High school, by the way, doesn't matter at all. And it, it not, doesn't. Not even a little bit. Your that, permanent just, record doesn't exist. Stupidest thing ever. Uh, anyway. Okay. Here you go. <laughs> So uh, we all have things we don't like about our job. Mandy actually works as an engineer for like a medical transportation company. So there's someone who's actually doing good in our, in our group. So, you know, <laughs> supporting, supporting the hierarchical medical. I used to work for, I used to work for medical technology. Guess what? Yeah. It's still shit. Uh, I was going to say like my job, you know, um, being the person that develops the technology that delivers vaccines that are very, you know, divisive, like generating subject matter. You mean like, you uh, mean the technology that transports uh, nanotechnology from Bill Gates to take over our minds, <laughs> yes. uh, right. like that episode of SpongeBob SquarePants yeah. where Plankton activates the buckets <laughs> over everybody's head. Yeah. So it's just yeah. it, I, it, this is a weird world. It's always weird. Yeah. Now that we can like talk some to people everyone, think I'm kind of the worst, right? It's, They're like, it's, ah, yeah. you're supporting the man, like microchipping us, or like. Don't you just wish that you could carry around right? vaccine and darts? Right? And just every time you find someone that's obnoxious yeah. that way, just huck a dart at him and be like, ha you know, wait for yeah. the trigger words. I got my uh, blowgun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The next that's, time, that's the next do, time yeah. you say snowflake, you're going to be in my power. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's insanity. I, so anyway, um, <laughs> jobs are complicated and so is adulthood, but you love these main characters. There's other characters too. As I said, the two children played uh, Dee Dee, uh, who's played by Brooklyn Prince and Henry by Christian Convery. And they're the the next group, the next person that is perhaps one of the best like little side characters in this film is uh played by Margot Martindale that is Ranger Liz, who oh, is gosh. the park ranger who is uh who is is trying to hook up <laughs> with with uh is it is it is it Jesse Tyler Ferguson's character? That he's trying to hook up. With. I can't remember uh, the character. I I watched this. We put this off for it's, several weeks. It's like the wildlife care yes. guy who comes yes. in. He's going to check out the park, and they're going to. I don't know if he's so like she's, trapping she's stuff. She's really they're into go it. Do a, a nature walk, and he's so, he's yeah. like really. So she's she deals with the punk kids and everything, and she's her own hilarious character. She's getting in. You know, it's like she's getting ready for a date, but really she's getting ready to just like see this guy, um, who comes up and. It is not only is she hilarious, but then she triggers some of the most heinous violence in the movie um, by, you know, at, at one point she shoots one of the kids in the head by accident. And we get this. This is where Elizabeth Banks like visualization is really stellar because we get it as a shot from the front of the person who gets shot with with uh ranger liz behind and she's not really revealed until the shot removes a chunk of this guy's head at which point we see her it is it is a disgusting master shot 
And it's not like we haven't had something similar. There's there's a very commonly done shot now, which is fun, where someone, you know, gets shot or hit in the stomach with something terrible and a hole opens up and then you see the person through it. This is better because this is more visceral and it's a little more. And even though the, the guy, the kid is obnoxious and awful, and I didn't miss him at all. Uh, he's the one that stabbed David. Um, <laughs> it is it is an extreme, an extreme end for for this character and sort of i would say unexpected even if you had a thought because you do have a thought when somebody brandishes a gun in one of these movies right you're like oh is it going to be a stephen king are they going to be their own worst enemy in this group and it is but it's still yeah. the she, she never right. she never strikes you as particularly uh good at her job or no. using a gun also completely so like, not apologetic go bad completely right? not apologetic about it um, <laughs> yeah and and so it's a delight and the bear just wreaks havoc when she comes around um the, the the movie opens with these two i don't know if they're supposed to be swedish or i can't remember german i can't remember what if they say where they're from but this um this this middle i don't know youngish third late 30s our age couple uh are in the woods backpacking and they're like oh look it's beautiful it's a bear and it's this peaceful looking nature bear and then of course when it hears them and turns its expression totally changes and it's the cocaine bear <laughs> and, it, and it attacks them and you assume they're murdered and ripped apart later in the movie you find uh the survivor who is the man uh and his his girlfriend was ripped apart or his wife or whatever and it's these weird it's one of those movies where it's it's actually uh how would you even call it so we have the films we've talked about this before like stand by me and the weirdsies where it's a journey film right like a road trip movie where it's a, it's got a linear setup and there's these stops on the way that introduce new concepts or wraps or reveal things or introduce characters that then reveal things for the leads uh, a movie like this is is sort of you took that and you just you held it up like a like a string of nerds rope and you just put your fingers on it and pulled it down and just ripped off all of those nerds into a bowl. That's the nerds of the characters. I know it's a weird metaphor, but I'm hungry and uh, I, I want a nerds rope. I'm glad I'm glad you actually said that because I was starting to get some stand by me vibes from this movie. But I also by the end, I got Goonies vibes, too, because sure. they were kind of like it wasn't a, was it a cave? I can't remember, but it was definitely like. No. They go into a cave. At, they go. They go into a cave at the end, yeah. and they come. The backside of the cave comes out under the waterfall that the kids had played hooky to go, and, and they all to. jump in the end, just yeah. like in the Goonies. Yeah. Well, notice that both of those movies. I mean, Stand by Me is not necessarily considered a kids movie. They're both movies that are frankly what we would dub now as family films right i would say like, coming of age but yeah sure yes but they're they're you know often they're the ones that you know until they're questionable morals for people who are really upset about it uh <laughs> and i'm not and i'm not i'm not talking about progressives by the way um for the most part but uh they're movies that they could show in a classroom in the early nineties, late eighties, right? Like they're the movies that, um, you know, uh, the, the year after you watch Milo and Otis or uh, Homeward Bound, which makes me sob, right? Like you, the, the next year, uh, maybe it's uh, Hoosiers or maybe Goonies, right? Or maybe uh, it could be Stand By Me. So like these things, these are both kids. And that's the sensibility in this movie is this goofiness that even when you have like real characters, the the overall tone, even with the extreme violence, and there's a scene of facial road rash, 
of someone oh. on Rodriguez Boulevard tied yeah. tied to a, a to, oh. a, to a medical stretcher to a gurney. Yeah. yeah to a gurney face first being drugged along the asphalt that is that's the one that made me wince in the theater yeah, I mean, i've seen the bad. effects before but it's it's rough and i i appreciate yeah. them doing that because again it's sort of that that old it's sort of like keeping them honest as a filmmaker right you're gonna go all the way in all these areas and then you're gonna pull back right? Mm -hmm. Then you're going to pull back on something. If you're going to do it, do it all the way. Give me something that surprises me and you're dreading it, right? Because you know, something bad's going to happen at, at so many steps in this movie. You hear uh, that Danzig? Uh, you hear that Danzig? Yeah. Right. 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 Um, every scene is engaging either because it actually has character interaction. That's both funny and yeah. revealing, or it's an action set piece that you you know something bad's going to happen you're waiting to find out how and it's rarely in fact it's never in the way i totally expected it to be um and that's you know there's no um and i love grizzly and day of the animals those 80s films i it's never the um oh the bear pops up and then whacks them and they die that's not how this mm -hmm. operates like that that happens i'm sure but like it's not it's not we're not bothering to show you that thing you expect we're instead going to show you a bear clinging to the side of a, an emergency van. <laughs> you know like these insane things that are happening um this is a time when i want to mention too uh, that you'll see this on the, the posters had it for a long time although i think they eventually removed it and people say uh based on a true story it is inspired by a true story for sure and the story unfortunately is sad in my opinion uh there was cocaine dropped in the woods and a bear did get involved in it and did way too much of it and died okay have a heart attack which is what you do when you have an insane mm -hmm. amount of uh a, a, a speed or an amphetamine or cocaine whatever an upper like those products so that's sad in that way, and Elizabeth Banks also uh, produced a, a mini documentary about it, which I believe is on the Cocaine Bear Physical Edition, and you can rent it separately, which is, it's interesting. It's sort of like giving the the bear its due, right? And that's what I actually loved about this movie. It, it made me sad knowing the real story, but at the same time, I was also like, not that the bear would prefer this to be the way. I'm, I would love to have the bear alive instead and just have no movie, okay? That's just, that's just that would be nice. But I'm glad that this movie the bear wins frankly i mean there are survivors but mm -hmm. the bear survives and not only does it survive it survives with its cubs and it's a delight it's a complicated delight because they're all addicted to cocaine but it is it is a delight and i mean it's one of those movies where i would love a sequel i don't know how it would be done to the to the effect this was done so i don't necessarily endorse one being produced um but you know Maybe if uh, maybe if if Elizabeth Banks signed back on and Jimmy Warden, who wrote this film, signed back on, uh, if you you may not recognize that name, although some will, uh, he wrote uh, The Babysitter, uh, and he's married to Samara Weaving, who people may know from Ready or Not, uh, which was not that long ago. And uh, he he, The Babysitter has a similar sense of like dark humor. Um, I think this is more successful because and you can watch the babysitter and the sequel on uh, netflix i believe uh, is where they premiered but the humor here is also wrapped around a very engaging story and it's also even i think elizabeth banks probably had a good deal to do with that the the movie does not feel 
mispaced at any time for me, which is such a rarity, even among fantastic films, right? Pacing is such a complicated thing in film. It because it requires understanding by the director. It requires a script that is effectively paced, and which is so hard to tell when it's on the page, right? Even as the writer. And then it requires editors who are good at their job and work with the director if the director's competent. It requires all those things to line up to get a movie that is engaging. And there's not a single scene where I'm like, ugh, right? Like it could be in the hands of somebody else or with a different script uh, other than Warden's or a changed script heavily. It could be that every time the kids come on, I was like, ugh, move along. Like that happens all the time, right? Every time there's some character in most of these ensemble films that is like the one you just don't care about. Nobody, nobody is flat and nobody has so little time that you that you're disappointed when you go back to them, right? You're always waiting to see. Oh, what's speaking happening. of like characters that uh, we sh we should go back to them is we never even mentioned the mom. She was yes. amazing. She's she great. Was so hilarious. She was so great. She was such a mom. Like she's just like I gotta Russell. get my kid. Yeah, like who's, who's like fantastic. you might be like this crazy big drug kingpin, but like I go get my kids. Yeah. like get out of my way. <laughs> like don't mess with me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she she's she's and she's great. She was Felicity in the TV show. Felicity uh, was probably her biggest role, but she's also been in a lot of stuff. Um, she was in Mission Impossible Three. I'm not a fan of the Mission Impossible films. Maybe we'll talk about those one day. I'll do a De Palma, De Palma pairing. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. She played Ellie. So she's not too. She's definitely recognizable. Uh, she also <laughs> she also was in the last uh, Star Wars film. Okay, she was Zori Bliss in in Rise of Skywalker. So uh, it all comes back to Star Wars, Tad. So anyway, she's a great actress. And yes, it was sort of like they made her the final girl, but she's an actual woman instead of a girl, right? The final girl in a horror movie being the one that ultimately is sort of the last person standing who defeats, you know, uh, Jason Voorhees or something. You know what I mean? That's sort of, she's the Jamie Lee Curtis of Halloween, right? The ones that are the victims until they are pushed into a corner or have a breaking point when they become, you know, combatants on unequal footing with, with their um, tormentor. And in this case, it's almost like we don't even ever get to that point because she is never not strong and mm -hmm. competent. And oh, it's yeah. nice to see that. And I have to say, I don't know that you would get that, at least that strong a sense with a male director. I just don't. Uh, and here's why I say that. It's not because a male director can't try to be even-handed, but it's very difficult to, to operate in a different space than your perspective. And, and you because you don't even see the border of your perspective. Right. You think you're moving outside of it, but you're not all the time. So a male director trying to do uh, uh, justice to a female character will often do one. They'll just fail. And the character is somehow flat. Um, like, for example, I mean, I'm not even going to mention there's so many directors who cannot really make a female character real right or engaging. They're just flat, uh, especially, you know, they're, they're just the hot one or whatever. Um, however, they also will overcorrect sometimes when they're trying to um, when they're trying to make someone strong. For example, and I don't think this is a huge dramatic overreach, but uh, the April O'Neil character in the Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem by Seth Rogen, she we're told we're supposed to like her and I didn't totally dislike her, but Corinne didn't like her. And I totally see why she's kind of too cool for school. 
right? She's too aloof. She's too, uh, it doesn't matter. And there's no vulnerability and it becomes an unreal character. It's almost, it's the same mistake as the manic pixie girl, right? You're becoming a caricature and you have no reality set in, you know? Uh, and so, and that's, that can be a problem too. But Elizabeth Banks doesn't do that. Every character has an equal chance to be either a total shithead or uh, a winner. Or, as Tad said, two degrees separation from either way, right? Which is the most interesting part. That's a conflict for us. And so it's really fun, really nice to have that. And um, I mean, you root for the bear, which is kind of, I think, what slasher films, which I think a wild animal attack film is often modeled after a slasher film rather than any other kind of horror movie, even a creature feature, right? Because they tend to be more uh, of the pop-up out of nowhere, right? Where a creature feature often tends to have some element of look how crazy this creature looks, right? The reveal. We don't get that here. It's more like a Michael Myers. We see him early on. You know, we know what he looks like. It's the uh, the the shock surprise of him showing up or the reveal of a terrible thing he did that causes the terror and, and the tension. That's how Cocaine Bear is treated. So I would call this a slasher film in that way. We have... Um, we have a character that you actually like and you want to see more of in the bear. As Tad said, the bear is not the core part of this movie. It's the core catalyst and device that pushes along the plot, which is wonderful because when you have a character that's that device, you don't feel as artificial because the character can make, you can make a character that will make the choices necessary to get you where your, your character, your other characters need to be for the movie to, to come full circle. So it it's, a smart move it's something that a lot of good scripts do and it's something that a good slasher film almost always succeeds at you know jason uh, the best jason movies are the ones where you kind of you want to see the character so much that you're actually rooting for them against the leads and while you're while there's a lot of leads that you don't want to die in this movie um you always have that tension of like, who's going to be next, right? What's the bear going to do that's going to cause this problem? Uh, and that's the exciting part. You want the bear there because the bear is going to cause something crazy to happen. It's the moment of tension, uh, knowing the bear is going to do something or cause something. This and that's movie, like a slasher flick. This movie perfects something that I've been complaining a lot with a lot of the, and it's not, I don't want to criticize you know people who are essentially amateur filmmakers too harshly but this is this is a perfection of that formula where that tension is really important if you do not have that you don't care mm -hmm. like we, how many movies have we watched where it's like someone's going around eh, 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 and i'm just like yep 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 who cares who cares i don't care about any of these characters right you have to care about the characters that are getting killed <laughs> you have to you you have to be I mean, a good slasher film, I guess, and I could be wrong. You must at least have a have that conf that conflict where you're like, well, I don't necessarily want them to die, but I'm not gonna feel too bad if they do. This movie did really well with that, yeah. where the ones who you absolutely do not want to die didn't die, and the mm -hmm. ones that did, you're like, I didn't want them to, but at the same time, they're kind of shitty enough where it's kind of okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you have to self-reflect of like, am I a bad person for wanting right. these people to die? Right. It's the push and pull, right? You're like, okay, as long as this person makes it, okay, and then it's a new person, right? Like, 
And also you mentioned a great thing. You need to care for the character. And it doesn't mean you need to like the character. You can care about whether they are punished or not, right? So you want the, a character to be punished just like you may want another character to be safe, you know, because you have to have some sort of emotional uh, uh, reaction or attachment to the character. It doesn't have to be good. That's something I think a lot of people are like, especially in like screenings, I'm, I'm, I'm going back and revisiting some, some big bombs, uh, like the bonfire of the vanities, trying to, trying to beef up into Palma's, uh, film filmography, because I, I never really frankly liked most of De Palma's films and learning inadvertently sort of learned some things about him. And I was like, Oh, going back and watching them. I see now the vision that makes it interesting. I didn't catch it the first time. I don't know that that means it's going to successful just because I know that, but I think it's fascinating. Right. And you have, you have this, this sort of, you need the Batman and Joker, which is, I think what else you're getting at. The final girl has to be up to the task. Even if they didn't seem it at first, they have to be elevated. They have to rise and change to the task of opposing the other figure that you like. So you have to care about both right you want the 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 supernatural killer to continue killing because they're so you you have that id moment like you you're sort of cathartically seeing them and they're so mysterious it's that whole like oh the ultimate bad boy or bad girl whatever uh it's a crazy thing that we do but that is something we do right we get cathartic and whether or not we really want to kill someone we sort of have this this uh, pleasure response to seeing this sort of play out on screen and with the other side the ones that are against the enemy you have to feel the opposite right you have to feel survive do this you know why don't you stop you know don't scream push him like why would you do this and that's what made laurie strode the jamie lee curtis character in um the best of the halloween films so effective she is uh she's not a fighter it seems at the beginning but then when the when it comes up she does not hesitate right? She is going to protect herself. She is going to survive. Uh, there's the movie, uh, which my wife loves, which I was super happy to learn about. Uh, one of the MTV productions called Stage Beauty, uh, which is, there's this great moment at the end where uh, we're learning that it's, it's about the transition between when men um, stopped playing women in English theater. And we get this moment where Claire Danes, I believe it is, is like, why would Othello's wife would not just sit there and let herself be killed. That's such a misunderstand. That's that's you're you're basically you're eliminating uh, the humanity of, of this female character. And so when it's played as an actual murder, like she's trying to survive, it becomes haunting, right? Because you're witnessing something. It takes it. It takes it to that level where now you're you're uncomfortable because you're seeing the reality of what you've been hoping for with all of these characters, right? And if you put that in, it changes the whole tone of the movie. This one doesn't do that. It knows its tone is going to be slight discomfort and raunchy fun. And it wants you to be just uncomfortable enough that you're like, but you don't have to feel bad about yourself, right? And so it's, it's just fun. Like, I think this movie was just fun. Um, it reminded me, Tad, you had a great, point about the the films you said it reminded you of it reminded me of um uh uh alexander aha's um remake of piranhas right with uh jerry oh, o'connell no. some other ones it's it's 
hyper i mean the violence at one point in that movie makes this one look like an episode of caillou right but like it's it's a fun movie and there are moments of tension and shock but the the overall tone is not serious enough it's not goofy enough to be a slapstick ridiculous joke fest but it's not serious enough to make you disgusted with yourself you know um and and they that's so important it's important to be entertained and feel good. And when you can make someone feel good after watching a movie where a bear who does drugs uh, <laughs> murders strangers, like that's a huge success. Um, so I think we can move on to recommendations. Uh, I'll start as I often do because I can't contain myself. Uh, I recommend this film. Uh, if you don't like violence, like if you can't handle blood or any violence at all, this is not going to be the movie for you because there is some blood and violence and there's one or two scenes that you may get nauseated by. That said, it's got a great cast, a really good cast. There's not a single character in this movie that isn't, uh, I don't think is that's not effective at their job. Um, and they, everyone gets some sort of little special moment to their character that makes them memorable. Um, there's even a female cop who's sort of a, a dirty cop who we just get a couple of scenes with her, but she has personality, uh, right? And she she makes an, her own decision at the end that's not beholden to anybody else. And so like, and I I think that's great. I, I don't know, you know, what level uh, the, the scriptwriter or Elizabeth Banks had in some of these things, but it's a success. And I cannot, I yearn to be a cast member in a movie like this, as rare as they are, where no matter what role you have, you are important. You are somebody that you could go, oh, that was me in Cocaine Bear. And somebody who'd watch it be like, oh, that's so great. I love that scene when you blah, blah, blah. Everybody has a moment mm -hmm. and it's wonderful. We get that, Robert Rodriguez does that too, to a certain extent. He loves putting in these side characters for like five to 10 minutes. And we may only get them for five to 10 minutes, but they're memorable. Like Danny Trejo is the knife throwing assassin in Desperado, right? He has very little time on screen, but wait, he wait. has. Wait, do you hear that, Danzig? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, right? Like don't waste any screen time. Don't waste any character. Don't waste any opportunity to add interest to a character, right? Why would you do that? Um, the drag queen Willem says like, she wears like sometimes a gold tooth, right? Because she's like any opportunity for bling, you know, I don't necessarily like the way the choice looks all the time, but she's taking that, that idea of why would I do anything less than I can? Why would I make anything about me less interesting, right? Even if somebody doesn't like it, they're noticing it, right? So I love that concept applied to a movie. And I think this movie does it expertly. So I recommend this movie. Plus, like I said, it's just fun. If you like, if you don't mind a little gore in your homies, watch this movie. If you don't think Elizabeth Banks is a good filmmaker, watch this movie. Because I guarantee you will be proved wrong. I've only met one person who's a horror fan who hasn't liked this movie. Um, mm. And it was more a personal preference, uh, according to them. Which I, I mean, I, I understand. If you don't like any sort of comedy in your horror, this is funny. It's a funny movie. Mm -hmm. And it also has a lot of not horror. You've got characters that are actually being developed and have moments where they just have conversations. Right. Um, but I think it's worth it, worth a try. Definitely watch it. I was, I was blown away in the theater. I did not expect to, to think so highly of this movie. Mandy, would you recommend cocaine bear? And if so, why and to who? I absolutely would. And I'll go back to like what I expected, what I got there. It's a bear. There's cocaine. <laughs> 
there's a bear on cocaine. Like, I mean, we just spent almost an hour talking about all the other positive aspects of this actually being a movie, movie, yeah. with a plot and good characters and like an interesting concept and the female director and all that stuff are all other reasons to see it. But I mean, you're getting what's in the title, like to full effect. So go go enjoy it. Right. How could you be how could you be mad, right? Um, I it reminds me, so this movie came out shortly after uh the James Wan produced Megan, uh, about the the like life-size robot <laughs> doll. And I wanted to see yeah, I went in to see that film not expecting a whole lot, but being hopeful. And I actually enjoyed it. I thought for the most part, it was pretty decent. In fact, the part that I thought was the stupidest part that didn't make sense was the part that James Wan himself inserted, which was the dance scene, because it didn't have it didn't make any sense to the whole plot. It just was a random dance scene. Worked great for marketing. So who's laughing now? But anyway, I thought that was a decent movie. and I was surprised. So when this came out and I was going to see it, I just thought it would be terrible because I'm like, I was surprised by this one. This is just going to be. Like, I'm going to be trolled by buying a ticket to this movie, but that's okay, right? As a cult film fan, we kind of enjoy that sometimes. And then I was like, oh no, this is a good movie. It's not just decent. This is a good film. Uh, it is so much more than what you would think it was. And I think it's more than the sum of its parts, because when you have all those good moments, you put them together, you get something great. So, Tad, would you recommend Cocaine Bear 2023? Uh, if so, why and to who? This is one of the rare moments when I can say that I don't have a lot to criticize about. Nitpicky, sure. Um, visually, maybe just just aesthetically, this movie suffers from the same problem I see other movies recently try to do with Nostalgia Bait, where they try to emulate the 80s without doing a fantastic job, but yeah. it wasn't really trying all that hard to be an 80s retro movie because you can it was instantly forget to... that it was in the 80s the only yeah, reason because is it doesn't no matter right yeah like it would just it would the, the story would be as relevant if it happened two years ago as it would 30 years ago so yeah. ultimately that i get it doesn't matter it's just they tried a little bit they threw in a few 80s things and it's like it doesn't matter yeah um inspired by a true story you know what else was inspired by a true story checks us Texas Chainsaw Master. That is right. That is how right. how accurate was that? Not at all. Not, Not at all. all. We got one person who killed people just as a clown and ate people, and it became a family of cannibals who run a roadside restaurant slaughterhouse, and they have a big um mentally uh underdeveloped individual who wears people's skin and puts makeup on it. Uh who and wields then, a chainsaw. And then and then Rob Zombie decided to remake it and rename it. Yeah, Which, I mean, to be fair, was good. Yeah, yeah, it uh, was. It was a different vision. And again, he went for it. He said, "This is my aesthetic. I'm going to push it to 110 percent because why would I do it halfway?" And he did it well. It was a, it was a, it was sort of groundbreaking for his career. Moving on, um, yeah, I actually really enjoyed this. This was a breath of fresh air because ever since the last movie I'd actually seen in theaters uh, up until recently was Endgame. And Endgame was at least a small amount of disappointment for me. But at the yep. same time, that was kind of the, to me, that was really the end of what was like everything that happened with superheroes from 1998 all the way up until that point. Agreed. And as far as I was concerned, it pretty much was over at that point. Agreed. It's just that apparently Disney didn't get the memo that it was over. And so when this came out, it was like, wow, all these movies have been shit over the past few years. And this thing just came in and went, yeah fuck you like well, guess this what? Is... we're a new property that has nothing to do with anything else and we're awesome 
this is this is exactly and i've been hearing a lot of people talk about this this is the stuff that sort of needs to carry the torch forward if uh we're going to actually enjoy movies for the next few decades mm -hmm. is you need to scale back. You need to have reasonable yes. budgets. And you also need to have talent behind it that can actually carry it. Because this was made on, what, $30, $35 million? Not that much money. Triple that? It's kind of yeah. like, a, this was made on Punisher 2004 money, mm -hmm. looked better, mm -hmm. was written better, and was more... Actually, no, it wasn't in any way faithful to the original source material. Because no. that movie wasn't necessarily either. Because no matter how many rose-tinted... Um, memories I have of Punisher 2004. No, wasn't super accurate. As much as I love P Thomas Jane as the Punisher, that was not an accurate representation. We're, and just just so you know, I know we've mentioned this on the podcast before. Tad and I have disagreements about this. We will be doing several Punisher pairings uh, that I'm excited to talk about because um, there are War Zone. There's, there's a lot. To, some of us are looking forward to different things. Um, yes, so I totally agree with you. This is a breath of fresh air. And uh, I cannot wait to talk next week about what we've paired it with, Slaughterhouse. Because there have been, after Cocaine Bear, before it even hit theaters, um, you know, the, the, the cult schlock train is very good at seeing things that are going to be popular and shoveling out content that is various levels. Usually it's various levels of bad, but there's usually one or two gems in there, right? So we have Slaughterhouse. We also could have done Cracoon, uh, the, the crack-addicted raccoon. We could have done, um, what's another one? I can't even think about it. There's a deer one. There's many, right? Uh, there's many about that. So, and yes, we may talk about Kraken. I, I was point. completely unaware of this entire subgenre of movies. Yes. It is Cocaine upset. Bear created this. It moved from, you know, uh, there's lots of killer animal movies, um, Black Sheep about. Yeah, this sheep. never stopped. No, be, this um, is just the new gen. Strippers versus, what is it? Strippers versus Zombie Beavers? Uh, Zombiever. That's what it's called. Yeah, Zombievers. Jesus Christ. Yes, we'll probably talk about that at some point too. So anyway, there's lots of those, but the the addition of drug mania. Um, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to Angel Dust Angelfish. I think that's going to be a big winner. That's amazing. I don't, I don't know. That's anyway, amazing. uh, yeah, P -P PCP pandas. Uh, nice. there's all that would actually be pretty good. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh. I don't know. It's it's great. Go watch Cocaine Bear. If any of this, if you like uh, any number of the films we talk about on this podcast, if, if you like cult films, if you like horror films, if you like funny, weird films, bizarreness, just watch Cocaine Bear. It's one of the rare examples where a cult film is is backed enough by um, already known Hollywood talent that it slips into the mainstream and it's it's actually that good like it's great like it deserved more than it got and it got more than you would expect um so check it out this is one that uh i'm gonna own physical i, I really i already do it's behind me I, I had to buy it because even though i wanted to support it right not just because i love having physical media i wanted to support this so do what you can to rent it it is available uh to watch if you have amazon prime for free and otherwise, you can rent it or buy it at any number of places. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening to Cult and Classic Films Podcast. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, Animals Behaving Badly 2 with Slaughter House 2023, which you can watch on Hulu for free if you have Hulu. So it's not really free, but you know what I mean. And you can go ahead and do that if you want before we talk about it. So you can be all on board with us and uh, decide whether or not uh, we're smart or stupid, according to your opinions. Thank you. Please go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash cult and classic films uh where you can for as low as 20 dollars a month get exclusive high def blu-ray cult films 
sent to you every month that you cannot get anywhere else, shipping included. And we have a new $2 level, which gets you access to our exclusive podcast pre-shows, as well as additional content, behind the scenes photos, things like that, that we post just about every week, every other week. And you get access to the discounted member store at Patreon, which is uh, you can buy films for a much bigger discount than you could from our cultandclassicfilms.com website, which is still great to visit. Thank you. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe. Stay weird. And we'll be back next week. To play us out, as always, is The Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.